Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I am Charnel Lennox, your host, and with me is Megan. Hi, Megan. Hi, Charnel. Hi, listeners. We are finishing up part two of Barbara O'Hare's story. If you have not listened to part one, you really should go back and listen because you have missed the first 12 years of her life in part one, which was wrought with childhood trauma and neglect. I would say there's some physical abuse, but mostly neglect wrapped in there. And all of that explains how she gets to Ashton Hall, which if you are an avid listener, you know that the Stephen Smith case also talked about his experience at Ashton Hall. That is where we left off, was Barbara had just been transferred from the Cedars, a child home, to Ashton Hall, which is a mental hospital. Now, Barbara has absolutely nothing wrong with her. Aside from a lazy eye, she should, there's nothing physically wrong with her not even that lazy eyes or anything that's physically wrong with somebody no. but in the time a lazy eye was considered to mean it was indicative of a cognitive disability which is not true whatsoever. no and my thought on that because I was thinking a little bit when you mentioned it is because you know you can have a traumatic brain injury um, which mm-hmm. oft- some, can sometimes happen at childbirth, obviously, as right. well, um, that causes that. So I wondered if somebody somewhere decided the lazy eye means there was some type of a, tra- a traumatic brain injury or even a birth thing, and that therefore, because of it, there was an impairment that went with it. So I'm not, Yeah, I'm not sure. For that matter, we don't really know if Barbara sustained physical abuse in early childhood, it appears But she exhibits nothing. She doesn't. No. no. No, there's no reason for her to be in a mental hospital, but that's where she winds and, up. And just to remind everybody, it was on the premise that she was a nail biter. Yes. Which I'm assuming he articulated was some type of high anxiety that he needed to treat yes. her for. So yes. she just found out that this hospital she's going to... Is a mental is a hospital. mental hospital. Not a hospital where she's going to be taken care of by nurses and get to wear fluffy slippers because that's what she thought because that's what she had seen on TV. She is in the car with the social workers and sees mental hospital. And she's there simply because her father doesn't want to care for her. He's off working on oil rigs and her mother left when she was 11 months old. And here we are. So... When she arrived, oh, before we get started, though, again, we do have our lucky kangaroo sack that we are shaking. Must shake and fondle. Although I don't know. I'm getting really good at this. When we recorded part one, there was all kinds of shit that went down. If you're a Patreon, you you heard it all. But I don't know if, are you a lucky kangaroo sack or it's, I'm sorry, genuine kangaroo scrotum. scrotum. I want to be technical with this, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. contains six Little dicks. Crystal dicks. Yeah. yeah. I don't know All if right. it's bringing us good luck or not. We'll see. I found each one individually. We're, oh, we're ready to go. Very nice. Everybody gets attention. So upon arriving, she Barbara notices the same thing that Stephen Smith had noticed, that the nurses had a ring of keys. Now, why are there so many keys? Why are the windows only cracked a little bit with bolts, like bolting them in place? Why did all the children seem to be in a zombie state with blank stares and odd expressions? 
Her very first night, she was told that she would not be having tea because she had treatment that night. The first night? The very first night. We know what treatment means for those of us that heard the first episode. I'm triggered already. Yep, yep. Now, uh, new girls arrived at Aston Hall into the female section on Mondays. So what becomes known actually is that Mondays for the girls who have been there for a while is almost like a reprieve. It's a day that they look forward to because they know that the new girls are going to get the treatment and that Dr. Milner is not going to pick one of the ones that have already received treatment before. Really? Which is a little bit different Mm -hmm. than how he treated the boys. Yeah. Because boys, he kind of had a favorite. He did. He did. The boys did not get treatment immediately upon arriving like the girls did. Um, It was something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. She's told, you know, you're going to have treatment. Now, she did not know what this means, of course. Uh, We do because we listen to Stephen Smith's case. But the nurses were very rude and rough. She was given a pill of some sort, even though that she said she had already had her pills for the day. Because remember, back at the Cedars, when she first met with Dr. Milner for 10 minutes, he had prescribed her two pills three times a day, and she was to take them or she would be in trouble. So for all this time that she's been waiting at the Cedars to be transferred to the hospital, she's been taking these pills. All right? I have so many questions. Can I, I just do, ask I now? I will get to them. Are you going to answer what the medications yes. were they being given? Thank she you. does find out what the medications <laughs> okay. are. She's told, you know, I already had my pills for the day. And the nurse is like, no, you're going to take these. No if, ands, or buts about it. She's asking questions. She gets no answers. The pills immediately make her sleepy. This is what really sucks. You know, for 25 plus years, because these pills made her sleepy, she knows she's having these memories. All right. But to people around her, they're not reliable. Because she was in and out of states of consciousness, which was the whole point of Dr. Milner giving them these pills, right? So she remembers that she was taken into a room and ordered to take a bath, to get naked to take a bath. Now, she didn't want to be naked in front of this nurse that she had just met, let alone have her watch her bathe, but she did. And that she remembered, actually, when she first arrived at Aston Hall, she insisted on being given a bra, even though she didn't have any titties, because she didn't want to be made fun of. Oh, and all the other girls mm -hmm. are going to have bras. Yes, because because remember, she's too young to be at this mental hospital. She's 12. And so she didn't want to be made fun of. So she is wearing this bra. Well, she recalled when she stripped naked to take this bath, the nurse was laughing at her and was like, why are you issued a bra? Right. (laughs) You have no reason to wear one. Right. And ordinarily, she would not have said anything. But all of a sudden, what comes out of her mouth is, I don't want to get made fun of. And then she recalls, like, why the hell did I tell her that? Why was I so honest? Well, if you listen to the Stephen Smith case, some of the experiments that Dr. Milner did was give children truth serum. Right. They were, he, there's a lot of suspicion that he was doing experiments on truth serum, the same type that was given to PTSD patients after World War II. Right. Troops, not patients. Well, both. Troops and patients. But. And there's got to be some type of a, either an amnesiac or something like that in there as well that's making them not recall everything. Right. But just right. kind of the dream sleep just, stuff. Yes. Like yeah. if anybody's ever had general surgery. Yes, exactly. I mean, I remember they're given, things. Well, they're given I, ethanol. Yeah, okay. Stephen Smith, you know, was able to determine that from his case. Okay. Um, but he's given ethanol to go in and out, but it'll make you, yep, not remember everything. So she's in a she's in a drugged up state. She is taken to into a room and she's ordered to she has this gown on, okay? She recalled before she entered this room there was a trolley. And this trolley had a metal like kidney-shaped dish 
which I feel like we can all picture so clearly in our minds. We've seen it a million times. We can, because by trolley, you're meaning a medical cart. It is a medical just cart. Just like a, yep. in a surgical one. It has yes. the little plastic, usually pink or kind of that purplish color, yes. shaped like a kidney. It's meant for you to be able to throw up in, honestly, and, if and, there's an issue. And hers, this one was metal for whatever okay. reason. And in it, it had very large needles. It had some bandages, different white packages. She doesn't know what they're for. She's terrified, of course. And in the room, there's just a single rubber mattress on the floor. That's it. What? Just like it was in Stephen Smith's case. Yeah, So, but not even a hospital bed? No. It's just this floor rubber mattress. And if you'll recall, this was a trigger later on in Stephen Smith's life because he works at a, at a mattress I store. I remember. And they had rubber mattresses, and it that like brought him back to this room. Trigger alert everyone. So she's ordered to lay down. She's ordered to cross her right arm over her left arm. And she noticed that the bandage that they tied her arms, that this nurse tied her arms with were really, really dirty. Like they'd been used several times before. Now they, the nurse bound her arms so tightly that it actually really, really hurt her. We'll get back to that in a minute. Her legs were next. And even though she tried to kick in protest, the medicine was making her weak and complacent. Then a needle was placed in her arm when she was tried to f- when she tried to fight it. She was told that she would get electric shock, electric shock treatment. So it was best that she just did not fight. Now she's twelve. She does not know what electric shock treatment is, but she knows enough to know that that doesn't sound good. So it scares her, and she goes still. Now whatever had been in that needle immobilized her because she was still cognitively aware, but she couldn't move. Then Dr. Milner enters the room. He places a metal mask over her face that's dripping ethanol Okay. while he asks her questions, just like in the Stephen Smith case. She remembered that this mask smelled and tasted awful. He would ask things at first, like, what's your name? How old are you? How old is your brother? The drip was constant. Um, just like with Stephen Smith, if you read, if you read those book, books, in their memories... They just remember hearing the drip, drip, drip while this stuff is happening all around them and them getting sleepier and sleepier despite the fear. She recalls another man entering the room. She couldn't really make him out because she's very drugged up at this point in time. Another trigger alert. The other man lifts her hospital gown, exposing her and leaves it up around her waist and he's taking pictures. There's, so she knows he's taking pictures. Mm-hmm. There's camera flashes all around her. She couldn't move and she couldn't shout and scream. All the while, he continues to bombard her with questions and the medicine continued to drip through the metal mask. She's at this point in time going in and out of consciousness. At one point in time, she wakes up. She's on her belly. Trigger alert. There's a stabbing pain in her buttocks as she's given another injection. And she falls back into a state of unconsciousness. Now, the next time that she wakes up, she's actually in the hospital unit of Ashton, Aston Hall. Okay? Oh, like the medical treatment part. Yep. yep. Not mental part. She's not in the treatment room anymore. She's in the, the hospital part. She's not in the dormitory part where her room actually is. Where she her had bed an adverse is. reaction that they weren't expecting or is this typical? This is typical. Okay. This is how they do it. Mm-hmm. She was groggy. Her entire body was sore, like she had been kicked all over. She had a shooting pain in her wrists from being bound. 
As a matter of fact, she could not use her wrists to even hoist herself up in the sitting position because they were so sore because she had been so bound so tightly. Trigger alert again to what she discovers. When she does get upright, she discovers that there's a searing pain between her legs. She thinks that she's wet herself and she was really embarrassed, but the sheets were dry. So a nurse suddenly appears and brings her a tray of jelly sandwiches and her pills. Because, you know, three pills a day, two pills three times a day. This is why I wasn't a doctor. <laughs> that and many reasons. Right. Math. Yes. Okay. So she's got her pills. So she does. she's starving. So she eats and drinks anything to get that nasty ethanol taste out of her mouth. But she really needed to go pee. And the nurse was like, nope, you can't get up. You know, you just had treatment. You can't do that. Well, when she stood up, she defies her. The nurse leaves. She stands up. She's really dizzy. It's really, really painful. And she's really groggy. And she makes it like she's trying to get to the toilet. But the nurse is like, I will bring you a bedpan. Wait a minute. I'll bring you a bedpan. Well, she makes it to the bathroom on her own as it is. Yeah, she's not waiting. No, while the nurse is going to get the bedpan. And when she wipes, she sees it. Blood. There's blood. So the urination actually had burned really, really bad from the inside out, too. So she knows that something happened in that room. She's 12. She doesn't know about sex. She's not been taught about sex. But she knows this isn't normal. And that it's painful. So she was trying to tell the nurse it did not matter. Now, the nurses that are so complacent in this, I hope, are rotting in fucking hell. Yeah, because they know what's happening. They absolutely do, and that's why they cut her off so quickly. Every time she t- wakes up from a treatment, she tries to tell the nurse that she's bleeding and that there's problems, and the nurse just shuts her down. Just doesn't want to hear it because that's how they're dealing with their own conscious issues, I believe. So, the, Oh, I think you're spot on. The nurse, you know, just ignores her completely. She did soften her touch a little bit and help her dress, though. Because she was telling her, like, my wrists hurt really badly. She's trying to gruffly get this girl dressed. Like, she did say that this first nurse kind of softened her approach a little bit and helped her get dressed. So she realizes, as she is put back into mainstream of Aston Hall, that she's not the only person that has underwent treatment, right? She's putting two and two together. They all know what treatment is. They do. She realizes that these other girls are also kept in a drugged-up state. Okay, not everyone's just not quite right here. Um, she had to watch the other girls who would sob, wail, and scream as they were led away night after night for treatment. She felt terrible for them, but also she felt guilty because each time her name wasn't called, she was felt relieved. relieved. Mm-hmm. She tried to blend in in an attempt to not draw attention to herself, thinking that maybe that would make sure she's not picked again. All these things do not surprise me, you know, at, at all. Shortly after her first treatment, she was uh, she dropped her meal tray because her wrists were so injured from the first Yeah, treatment. she must have been bound in a really awkward position to have that severe wrist injuries. Um, yeah, the wrist over wrist, definitely. But then she's being jostled around. Okay. And so well, I think right. that was making it worse. Um, she drops this tray on accident, and this nurse comes into the room freaking out on her and put her into this special side room. It's essentially a, a solitary confinement, their version of solitary confinement. And she's told that because she so violently threw her tray that she would be getting electric shock treatment if she did not behave. And so and when she's in this special room, she wakes up at one point in time and she's in a gown. 
And she has absolutely no idea how she got into that gown. None whatsoever. She can taste and, and smell that horrible smell in her mouth again from the ether. Yeah, so she knows she got another treatment. Yes, but she has absolutely no recollection of it. She was thrown in that room for violently throwing her tray when really she didn't violently throw her tray. She, she dropped, dropped it, it because her wrists were so sore. From the first sexual and the assault. Next, yes, and the next thing that she knows, she is... In a hospital gown, has no idea. When she was allowed back with her friends, she made friends with a little girl named Christine. And Christine becomes her best friend. So that day, she had to watch as Christine's name was called. And she saw that her friend did not try to fight it at all, okay? She just silently hugged Barbara and said goodbye. This is a quote from the book. She said, quote, she'd left for... The treatment room, a room without light or sound, a room where time escaped you and there were questions that were impossible to answer, a hidden room with hidden patients, end quote. But Christine didn't end up getting treatment that day. For whatever reason, there was like somebody else that caused a ruckus and they decided that that girl needed the treatment more than Christine. Oh. Yes. It was a punishment too. Yes. It wasn't just a routine, it was a punishment. Yes. They actually got to like talk long into the afternoon and- she realizes that Christine's bed is actually right next to hers, but she didn't know that because she had been in the hospital f- for a week now and had never once slept in her actual assigned dormitory bed because she got treatment that first night. And usually when you get treatment, it's about 48 hours that you're drugged up. And oh, so shit. So this is a couple hospital. days. Yes. You're in that hospital, like, ward part, you know, where the, the nurse is... is taking care of you and being complacent and whatnot. So she's never so spent... She, no, she's been there a week because then, remember, she dropped her tray and she's put in that special room. Oh, all right. Yeah. Then they gave her treatment again. So that's another two days recovery after that. So she's been there for a week and had never actually slept in her assigned bed. And so she realizes that her new friend Christine is her bedmate, is her roommate. Yeah, exactly, which works out really Dormitory style, I'm assuming, and she just happens to have the bunk next to her. They didn't say how many kids per room that there were, but there's a whole group of them sleeping in the same room, essentially. Sure. Bed, you know, bed lined up, bed after bed. Her and Christine get to talking as girls will and sharing secrets, and this is where she learns that some kids go into treatment and never come out. The next morning, one of the empty beds, like when they went to bed that night, she noticed that there were three empty beds. And Christine named all of the girls of these empty beds that used to sleep in them, essentially. So the next morning, one of the empty beds was filled with a girl named Emily. All of a sudden, she appears. Barbara wanted to know if she had had the same treatment that she had. So she goes up to Emily's bed and literally tries to smell her breath. To see if she could smell the ether. Oh, all okay. right. And Emily's like, this is fun. She woke up w- with her hovering over her and was like, hello. But she asks her for water. She really wants some water, which Barbara then knew she had the same treatment because that's how she felt when she woke up. Now, Barbara had a half a cup of water um, by her bedside that she went to go give her. And when just as she reaches her with this cup, a nurse walks in and turns the light on for the day to wake them all up. And sees her and is super furious and is screaming at Barbara about how she could lose her job over her. Like what she is doing. I don't know why she's not supposed to give her water. Obviously has something to do with the medications or whatever. But they told she told her that she was going to get the toothbrush treatment. What? Right. 
Right. Barbara's like, okay, whatever that means. And they're, you know, told to go do their regular thing in the morning. They go into the bathroom, they brush their teeth, they go brush their hair, they go to the bathroom, they get dressed, they do all that stuff. So they do that. And just as they're ready to go get breakfast, the nurse is like, oh, no, not you. You're going to get the toothbrush treatment. She had to clean an entire hallway with uh, a toothbrush. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. That type so, of a punishment. Yes. Um, they, so I could lose my job because you went to give this young lady water, but I'm not going to lose my job because I've let hundreds of thousands of children be sexually assaulted by a pervert. Yeah. Nope. And and make you all clean with a nothing but a tiny toothbrush. Also, the girls in general, how they occupy themselves for the day is they have to wax and wax, wax and wash all the floors day in and day out throughout the hospital. So they just clean all day long. Yes. That's what they do to keep them occupied. Well, they did that morning actually wax and wash the floors. And then when the other girls were going off to breakfast is when she got told that she had to go for the toothbrush treatment. She couldn't have breakfast. Um, While they were like walking past the cafeteria area, she heard a girl shouting, I am in here. Can anyone hear me? And she recognized it as the treatment room. Okay, this door was the treatment room. Now, no one answered because this nurse is still with them and they didn't want to get in trouble. Somebody got the wrong dose of meds. They woke up. Yep. So she's shouting, you know, I'm in here. Can anyone hear me? And this is when they go to go into the cafeteria and the nurse was like, oh, no, not you, Barbara O'Hare. You're not going and getting breakfast. You're going to scrub this hallway with a toothbrush. Well, as she's scrubbing, she can hear the girl talking through the door, right? Also, the girl can hear Barbara scrubbing in the hallway. So she's like, hello, you know, is, is anyone here? Someone help me. Yes. Barbara does eventually say like, yeah, I am here. You know, what's your, what's your name? She's like, I'm Barbara. And the other girl's like, I'm Emma. Emma was one of the empty beds that Christine had identified for her. Okay. So belonging. one of the kids that disappeared. That just wasn't in her bed the night before. All right. Yep. She was in a treatment room. Emma started crying and saying that her dad did rude things to her, but maybe it really wasn't her dad. She was not sure. She just felt really confused. Emma's drugged up and she doesn't really know what she's saying, but she's trying to, Barbara's trying to talk to her and knows that this stuff doesn't really make sense. Doesn't really know why her dad would be so rude to her. All of a sudden the nurse comes into the hallway, knocks on the door of Emma. Says, Emma, somebody been talking to you? Of course, Barbara thinks she's in deep shit now. Emma lies and says, nope. No one's been talking to me. And so the the um, nurse leaves, and she's looking at Barbara, you know, like, I know you were fucking talking to her. The nurse leaves, and Emma's like, see, I could have got you in trouble there, you know, but, but I didn't. Me. Yes, I didn't. And um, Barbara had actually thought that Emma, Emma had been rude to her, like, her first day. So, and she recognized her name when she said, I'm Emma. And so... Barbara had actually made up a story that said that where she said, my sister, my big sister is coming next week when they were talking. Um, okay. Because she wanted Emma, she was kind of scared of Emma and All she right. wanted Emma to know, like, don't fuck with me because sure. my big sister's coming. So once she lied to the nurse that she hadn't been talking to anyone, she was like, see, I could have got you in trouble. So don't tell your big sister about me. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. sweet. <laughs> yeah. Just like, see, I could have got you in trouble, but I didn't. I'm a friend. It's going to be okay. And they were friendly after that. So as the days went on, she learned from the other girls a lot of things. She learned about sex. 
a lot of the girls were older. Remember, she's too young to be here. She is. So there's kids there who They're probably had some up. consensual things too, so yes. that they can explain. Well, and a lot of them were there because they had had been behaviorally troubled. Oh, right? So they were they were promiscuous girls, so they got thrown in a home because uh-huh. that's what we do with women who have uh, exactly. with teenagers that have sex that and have enjoy sex it. Urges, uh-huh. right? It, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's no, we don't punish the boys. We only punish the well, girls. Well, no, I it's mean it's natural for the boys. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, that's a whole different episode. Mm-hmm. It sure is. So she learns all about sex. She learns all about periods. Um, and she oh was, god, she hasn't even menstruated yet. No, but some was, kids do as young as twelve. Yes, but not so much in the seventies. No, much, yeah, you know, as they the, do today. They don't have less hormones in their chicken. Mm-hmm. So she, um, she was told, if you get your period, this is how you avoid treatment. Dr. Milner doesn't like it when you're on your period. So even if you haven't gotten your period, let I will give you some sanitary towels and you can pretend that you're on your period. So the girls are trying to protect each other. I like essentially. that. Essentially. Mm-hmm. They give her, they share some of their sanitary napkins with her. And they warned her, do not tell anybody that you're a virgin because that's going to single you out here. You know, just pretend. Here's some of my stories. You use them as your stories. Christine had told her, because Christine had been there quite some time, Christine told her stories about seeing girls with their heads shaved, saying that those are the girls that got electric shock shock treatment. And when they came back from shock treatment, they were wheelchair bound, never walked again, had drool dripping from their mouths, and they never spoke again. And shortly after, they would be shipped out to never be seen again. So that's what the girls know about electric shock treatment. That happened to some of their friends there at Aston Hall. So one day she's told that her father's coming to visit. Now, of course, she's elated because she hasn't seen her father in like a long time at this point in time. Well, she didn't even recognize him the last time we uh, talked about him. So she's like, I'm going to tell my father about Dr. Milner and he's going to save me. This is going to be great. Because that's what dads do. Yes. Even the shitty dads. They're still going to protect you, right? They're going to protect you. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. Even though he's the one that put me here, but whatever. She just had to wait. She had to get through a week and then her visit was going to be, you know, with him and she's going to get out of there. She fell into a kind of a routine there at Aston Hall. Sundays were more relaxed. They had church and they didn't have as much cleaning to to do. Mondays were the days where the new girls arrived from the Cedars. So they're safe. Mm -hmm. And the Cedars seem to be like a feeder system to Aston Hall. Okay. For the kids that arrived at the Cedars. Probably one of many. Many. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that she did notice though, they were all white. Even though she had seen black and Asian girls at the Cedars, they never seemed to come. To Aston Hall. It was only the white girls. Okay. So all of the experiments, which you'll get to later, I'm sure, they, they, they're they Caucasian just, yes. males and females. Yep. And all in their young teens. Even though she was technically not a teenager, she's 12. Well, he made an exception for her. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they did actually allow her to go to school, which was not in the mental hospital. She had to walk there. They assigned a male staff member to walk her and some other some of the other kids that were going to school there. And some of the boys from the boys' homes had joined the walk, okay? And she made friends with a boy named Frank. She really liked him. She really liked school because anything's better than being in the hospital ward and being made to clean all the time. 
And I'm sorry, I meant Frank was the chaperone who walked them to the school and to and from the school. Oh. James is her friend. Okay, gotcha. She so met. she didn't meant make friends with Frank the chaperone. She made friends with she James. She didn't mind Frank the chaperone. He wasn't as much of a, he wasn't like a dick. He wasn't like a creeper. Nurses. No, no. He was just there to walk kids to and from school and got paid to do it. And he let the boys talk to the girls. So she didn't mind Frank so much. But she made friends with a little boy named, a boy named James, who also they discover in their walks, James also got treatments from Dr. Milner. Now, this shocked her because she thought for sure it was just girls sure. that got it. And so, not having known much about sex or how that would yes. work, she probably was unaware of what could happen to a boy. Yeah, most definitely. They became good friends and they talked back and forth, you know, to and from school. Um, James told her about some of the stories that we heard from Stephen Smith, as a matter of fact, about how they saw boys being carried out under blankets like dead bodies and put into a black van by two men. So they hit right? the nail on the head with that one. Yep. James had recalled that and told those stories to Barbara. Eventually, though, James does start does stop showing up to walk her like to and from. And um, a social worker had said that, you know, a social uh, his social worker showed up and he had to leave. But the fact of the matter is Barbara doesn't really know. She has no idea what happened to James. Did a social worker show up and take him away from that place? Or did he leave in the black van? Yeah. Did treatment go badly for James that right. day? Exactly. How sad. So remember, she was supposed to have a visit with her dad. I do. Well, of course, he doesn't show up when he's supposed to. And of course, she internalizes this because she's a dirty tinker. Why would he come to visit with her? And the pills that they gave her just exaggerated these feelings. So she's kind of getting into like a depressive state. Okay. And dad was coming, right? Is this, this isn't a situation where they just told her he was coming to set her up for some type yeah, of failure. He dad's had actually, just a piece of shit and didn't arrive when he's supposed to. But he does eventually come. And he takes her out for an afternoon. And literally as they're pulling out in his van, she lets it all out. She was literally. Like quick. Yes. She's like, listen. They are putting needles in me. They give me medicine. They strip me naked. They mess. Now, in that time, they used to call it messing with kids. Yeah, they mess with me. Mm -hmm. Yep, they mess with me. They make me take care of disabled children. They make me wipe them up, you know, clean them up, help them to the bathroom, all that stuff. They make us clean all the, all the time. He immediately puts the car in reverse, goes back to the hospital, and says, listen, Tinker, you're a liar. This part's going to piss you off. And he says, I know you're lying because I signed no consent forms. Oh, oh, well. Oh, okay. Because that's how abuse works. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you didn't consent to me being molested, so it must not have happened. Must not be true. Is mm -hmm. he... Cognitively impaired? Yeah. So, I mean, did he have a lazy eye? I'm just... I no, not again, that I can tell. Not trying to offend anybody, but this no. man isn't tracking. This man is a fungus of society and just your, dumber your daughter, than a box of rocks. Your daughter just disclosed horrific abuse yep. and you took her back and called her a liar. Not only that, but said, listen, Tinker, you're a liar. I know you're lying because I signed no consent forms. What are you? And she had to reply, a dirty tinker of a liar. And he said, right, don't ever try that again. I'm sick of you. Oh, I'm sorry, asshole. You're sick of her? You just saw her for the first time in years. But you're sick of her already because you don't want to hear the what she's saying? Because you didn't sign a consent form for the doctor to sexually abuse her? Weird. I don't recall there being consent forms for that. 
No, we they they keep those in the locked cabinet. In the yeah, back. yeah, those get burned or lost in a flood later on. No, and and you can't consent for that type of stuff no. for your kids anyway. But he uh, he probably glossed over the mess with me part and went right to the experimenting. Yeah, exactly. I didn't tell them they could experiment with drugs on you. Yep. So what they did on their day was uh, that visit. They did end up having a visit. Okay, so after he drives back, he leaves again with yes. her. They get an offsite. Yes, they get an offsite visit, but it's not really that much of a visit because he goes and he leaves her in a car for a half an hour while he picks up a woman in a fur coat from a pub named Janice. <laughs> okay, now it's priceless. She wanted to sit next to her dad in the van, but of course he insisted that. Janice sits next to him, not her. I'm sorry. Can we not pick up a hooker for an hour while we visit with our daughter? Not Elvis Presley lookalikes. Nope. No, they just can't. No. They're, they're nope. exuding gotta pheromones. Got to have that buffer. It can't just be him and his daughter. He's got to have that uh, that distraction. He takes her to a little little corner shop where he's going to buy her love. And is like, you can pick out anything that you want from here. So she picks out some extra food and candy for her BFF, Christine, Aww. to take back. She's a peach. Yep. She was told not to mention the mental hospital to Janice. She was supposed to say she was away at a boarding school, just so you know. Janice is not a bad girl. She comes up later again. Okay. She's a good girl. So Janice in the fur coat from the bar thinks that she legitimately met this nice single dad whose daughter is, is in from a boarding school. boarding school. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So then he drops her back off. And she tried to tell him one last time that the things that she said were true, but he would not listen. He told her that he was going away for work again and that we'd, when he returned, he would take her for a whole weekend. Like, you can come back to my house for a whole weekend the next time I return. The visit with her father, all it really ended up doing was making her wish she had a mother. Um, she found herself daydreaming a lot about what her mom looked like, what she would be like. She used to get to watch some TV with, oh, what was that O'Hare woman, Scarlett? Scarlett O'Hare, like Gone with the Wind, yes. you're talking about? Yeah. And Rat. So she thought that her mom, she pictured her mom being like that because of the similarities of the last name. Yeah, yeah. she must she's look a, like her. She's a child. You know, she's 12. So on March 3rd, 1971, she had her second treatment after arriving less than three months earlier. So it's been three months since she's had a treatment. And it's actually not her second treatment. It's probably her third. Yeah, because the but one she was... she doesn't really remember that second one. Two in one week. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so it's been three months. And this is actually, because it's been so long, she thought maybe she was, like, could avoid it. You know? Like, they didn't... He didn't they want forgot her. They forgot me. Mm-hmm. They forgot about me. So she kind of let down her guard a little bit. But all of a sudden, the nurse calls her name, takes her to the washroom to make her bathe, gave her a gown, and took her to the treatment room. Again, this room has nothing but a trolley outside of it with the kidney-shaped metal dish with the needles and bandages and whatnot and the rubber mattress. But this time she notices a black box. Now she's told to lie down with the gown exposing her, and the mer- nurse reminded her not to cause any trouble. But this As in don't fight. Yes, of course. She bound her hands together, this time above her head, and tied her ankles together. She considered herself lucky because some of her other friends had told had talked about how her their arms had been bound to their ankles, so she yes. knew at least this way. It this could was be worse. More, mm-hmm, it's more, more comfortable, comfortable. Mm-hmm. because of the medicine that she was given. She wasn't strong enough to kick free, but she recalled staring at the woman and realizing that this is the same like it's the same nurse that's always doing the binding for the treatments and the girls talk. So it's the same nurse that's doing it to her friends, too. So she starts asking questions. Why are you doing this to me? 
the nurse, nurse ratchet says it's for (laughs) your own good. So in this moment, she thought of all the other girls that she, that had talked about like the electric shock treatment in this black box. Oh shit. So she knows there's shock treatment in here this time. This black box is in the room. So she's like freaking out and she's like, she knows that she's as good as dead. Okay, she thinks she's getting the electric She's shock. leaving in the black mm-hmm. car. She gets into fight, flight, or freeze. She starts fighting, and she kicks and jolts and takes the freaking nurse by so much surprise that she knocks that bitch on her ass, and it knocks her um, bandages loose. So she's in, like I said, flight or, flight or fight mode. Fight or flight. She knocks she, the nurse down, and like she's literally been able to, um, it, she's bound above her head, and she's she been able is. to get them ripped well, apart. When she knocked her free with her legs, it knocked the binding free. Oh. So she's like on her feet, staring at this nurse, bouncing from foot to foot, back and forth. Now, something that's that called I, fight stance. Well, something I had, hadn't told you yet is that after the bully incident back with Edna and Liam, Liam taught her how to fight. Oh, Liam, so who we liked. Liam, Liam, who we liked, who was a nice guy. He tried. Taught her how to box and fight. So she knew. I need to shift my weight back and forth, and I need to keep my eyes on my opponent, and I need to be quick. Light on your toes, baby. Yep. So that's what she does, and she is fighting like a caged animal, and the nurse realizes that she can't fight this kid. So she tries to calm her down by speaking, like, softly to her. (laughs) Tries a different tactic. Have you ever whispered calmly to a rabid raccoon? (laughs) No. They don't care. I also don't let them up my ass. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, right. Well, mine just sneak on my porch and eat birdseed. And I mean that in the pure literal version of that. Right, right. (laughs) No, luckily we don't have, we have everything else in this neighborhood, but not raccoons. Oh, well, I'll I'll drop some off. (laughs) I have a live trap. thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) She is like, fine, I will have a conversation with this nurse, right? She's like, what is the, I know that black box is for electric shock treatment. Like, why are you doing this to me? She says, honey, that's not for electric shock. That's because Dr. Milner likes to record his treatments. It was a recorder. It was a video camera. Mm-hmm. So then she's like, you know what? My father's going to kill Dr. Milner because I'm going to tell him everything. And that moldy ass bitch has the audacity to tell this 12-year-old girl that that's not true because her father doesn't care about her because if he did, she wouldn't be here because her father can pick her up at any time and hasn't. And so now she realizes the truth that she's there because her dad doesn't want her. Yep. Period. And then like she, if she didn't know before, now it she kind of really solidifies knows it. at 12. Yes. And then she adds just like your mother doesn't want you. And where did she get that fucking information? She's just an evil bitch. She doesn't know really know this girl's story. So then she says, now that you know the truth, you better behave in the future. In other words, don't fight me. Can we like just say that I hope that this moldy ass bitch is in hell, like below hell somewhere, getting eaten alive by insects she, every day? She and any of the employees there that knew that this mm-hmm. was happening should be like on uh, a pile of hell's fire ants covered in honey. Mm-hmm. I hope so. But just make but make day. sure make sure you bind her spread eagle. Yes. Yeah. Could just, we arms above the head? Absolutely. That'd be great. So or wrist similar. to ankle. Wrist to ankle. Yeah, I just, I, the, the spread eagle with the honey and the fire ants just sounds more fun for me at yep. this point. That would be, that would do it for me. Yeah, um, I want it to burn for I'd you. take peace. Milner comes in to the room, of course, 
He puts the metal mask on her that's dripping that constant chemical drip into her body, making her drift in and out of consciousness. Trigger alert. This time she remembers hearing a little mouse in the room squeaking. Okay. Oh. And she felt like it was trying to talk to her, like it was keeping her company. Now, this is probably the drugged state, but it comforted her in this moment. And in her mind, she named the mouse Marmaduke. Oh. Okay. That was, I love that. I know. Because Marmaduke is a huge Great Dane. I don't know if that comic mm-hmm. strip existed then in, in the 60s, I wondered, especially in England. I wondered England. if it did too. I know. It had to have. Mm-hmm. But she names this tiny little creature this what we associate with a large thing. And it was comforting. As she was trying to disassociate from the sexual abuse that she was endearing yeah. in and out of consciousness. But every time that she drifted in and out, she could hear that squeaking. She could hear that mouse in the walls squeaking as if it was keeping her company and trying to help her through this. And she has practiced disassociating because this is way back to her first four years, five years, yeah. where she's listening to Elvis Presley and yes. smelling alcohol and cigarette and smoke and, and being, knowing that she's not alone. Yep, exactly. She remembers from this incident once waking up and she was on her stomach with pressure against her back. It was Dr. Milner. She remembers feeling a needle go into her buttocks just like every time and Milner whispering, good girl, and then she went back to sleep. When she woke up again, she was in the hospital ward, again, feeling the same exact way that she had. Her wrists were sore. She had that smell, that chemical smell and taste in her mouth. It was in her hair. She was feeling physically ill. Her vagina and buttocks were sore and bleeding. Now, she was only 12, and she knew that she had been messed with, as they call it. After learning, like, more now that she's been there longer she now has a deeper understanding of what sex is yes and what happens and where things go and so now she's putting that together that this is what had happened you know to me when she got out of bed she saw blood and had a terrible pain in her stomach the nurse came in and saw her and told her it's okay honey you just had your you just got your periods that's what the nurse told her got her a sanitary napkin sent her back to join the rest of the girls in the dormitory. Is this one of the nurses who might validly have believed that? I think so, yes. Okay. 100%. Just to differentiate, yes. because there are different wards, it there had to have ward. been some employees there who weren't no. aware. Yes, I agree. And I do think in this moment that's exactly what had happened because this day she really struggled. She's like in a zombie state. She's not really listening to the nurses. She is – She's emotionally and mentally really struggling. She's not keeping up with conversations with her friends. And she realizes the nurse is trying to get her attention that night as she changed into her nightgown because the sanitary napkin is popping out of her underwear. And she's like, honey, why are you wearing that? You don't have your periods yet. So that confirms it to Barbara. I don't have my periods yet because they have that documented. Yeah. She's realizing, oh my God, I really, I, I really was bleeding from somebody messing with me not because I got my periods she remembers she had another treatment at the end of April and this time she did not fight it at all she just completely disassociated and let it happen her life became medicine her BFF Christine helping the disabled children go to the bathroom cleaning the school and going to school and that that was her life she ends up being in Ashton Hall for a total of eight months of her life but in May state inspectors come And that day, the girls get to go out and do things that they had never done before. Like play outside? Yes. They got to even go downtown and attend like a parade. They went to a corner store and got some treats. 
they got to have a wonderful day. And then when they got back to the hospital, they got to actually play outside. They put these girls in really good spirits and a really good mood. And Dr. Milner came and all these girls see this man's car pull up and they freak out. Oh, yeah. Being in a good mood and seeing Dr. Milner, they weren't freaking like they usually did, but they're wondering what the hell's going on. How disorienting would that be? You've seen him in one setting and there he is like a real person on the outside on it was like it was may day it was described as like their may day or yeah. whatever and so they're like why is he here on a on a holiday like we should be free of him today well he came with the state inspectors and so then he's you know hello oh girls carry on and they're just like having you know they're they're acting more normal because they were in a good mood as it was. Well, they did a good job manipulating that situation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you'd think that somebody would notice that something's off. Like, man, it just got quiet when this guy walked in. You would think, but honestly, I think they're they're just trying to get through their inspections. I don't know. I'm a state inspector and investigator right now. Yeah, and you can't notice every I reaction. I can't imagine not noticing that, but... I'm also maybe more hypervigilant because I did so many years of CPS. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard for me to because to you justify assume the, you assume the w- worst of people until they show you otherwise. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's a survival technique. I, Congratulations, I, girl. Great. I'm a <laughs> lovely person to be around. Oh no, I used to be too. And then we did our careers. We're not talking about early childhood trauma with no. us. Ours is totally PTSD from it work. Is. It is absolutely so. It's hard for me when they talk about social workers, and we'll get into them in this case too. For for me to justify like, oh yeah, that could be normal. I don't know. I some of this, I'm just like. Well, I, I felt know. like that was Stephen Smith's version of the right. these events as well. Yes, and you have to remember the time. It's 1971, correct? Too. So May 10th, as a matter of fact, 1971, she had another treatment with the same moldy ass bitch tying her arms and legs. Now this time, she was like, "Do you have a daughter?" And the nurse like, that's none of your fucking business. So then she said, oh, I don't know my mother. I've never known her, but I know she's not as horrible as you. <laughs> so, I'm digging. I'm digging it, right? She's, she's, reach, she's reaching down. She is. She's, and of course, it makes this bitch tie her hands and arms just a little bit tighter. And Barbara's like, tie them as hard as you want. I no longer care. So then she puts the needle in her arm as usual, pushes it down way harder than she ever has before, just to hurt her more. She's like, whatever, I really don't care. Milner comes in. He always brings with him three pillows because this rubber mattress is actually on the floor. Yeah. So, you know, he's got to make himself comfortable. Oh, he's old, so he needs ones mm-hmm. for his knees. With his, with his three Maybe pillows. His he hits record on the Does the nurse camcorder. stay in here for these? No, leaves, always. It's always just her and Dr. Milner. Okay. Yeah, the nurse is never present. An easier way for them to just ignore what's going With on. The obvious. Just, yep. So he hits record. He puts the metal ass the metal ask mask <laughs> on. And as she's slipping in and out of consciousness, this one's a little bit different, Megan. She realizes at one point in time she wakes up and there's a white sheet covering her, like touching her eyelashes. And she's like, Oh my God, remembering the stories about kids being carried out in she white sheets. She was dead. Yeah. And put in the black van. Yeah. She's like, oh my God, I'm dead. Then she realizes, no, I'm very much feeling. What's so happening? I'm, yep, so I'm alive. But then she drifts off to sleep again. She was transported somewhere. Okay. She does not remember because when she comes back to consciousness, consciousness, yes, she's back in the hospital ward. Okay. So they've seen kids leave before, but they're not necessarily dead. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And, that, and we, I was making an assumption. I think so. But she knows she left the premises she and there was a sheet over she her. She was on leather so, seats. She remembers waking okay. up and seeing leather sheets or seats. These, excuse me. She was under a white sheet, fully covered. But consistent yes. with what they have witnessed with other girls, except yep. for sometimes those kids don't come Never back. Never come back. She did come back. Yes. But she has no idea what happened to her. Now, I firmly believe that Dr. Milner was taking her to one of his little sex rings. We know from Stephen Smith's case that he involved his friends. Right. His sick friends. Invited them in. Yep. So I I believe he was taking her to places where they could do things to her, most definitely. Join the experiment. No, she's drifting back and forth to sleep. Her last conversation with Dr. Milner ever was that she... He asked her if she got her periods yet, and she was able to lie and say yes. Even though she had the truth serum? Well, or he didn't give it to her? That's the question, because she said ordinarily she would not be able to lie, but she was able to lie in this situation. I think he didn't give them. It was part of his experiment, and he knew he didn't give her the truth serum, so he asked a question that he already knew the answer to to see if she was able to lie or not, and she was because she said yes. She has no idea why she lied, but she said yes. It was a part of his experiments for sure. She said yes because she remembered that the girls yes, told said, her it was safe safety mechanism. Yep. In her book, she stated, her book, The Hospital, she stated, quote, many years later, I discovered that a social worker had been to visit me on May 12th and that she was, and she was given treatment May 10th and 11. There is no mention of the treatment in the social worker's report. Instead, it had said that I had been sick in bed and that she had seen her in the hospital ward, end quote. So post-treatment, they put her in the hospital ward as they typically did because this was about a two-day process. Yep. yep. And that's where the social, the social worker, worker came to see her. came to see her and she had had treatment and so it was, well, she's really sick in bed. She wrote in the report, Barbara actually put these reports in her book. She put the medical reports in? Mm-hmm. The reports from the social worker. That's fantastic. So book. she was able to get those through some type eventually, of a, their version finally. of a FOIA of some yes, kind. eventually. It's a fight we'll get to in a minute. But So she wrote in the report that Barbara seemed calmer and more controlled. She did not ask her what was wrong or why she was sick. But in truth, she had spent 48 hours drugged up by Dr. Milner. Had the social worker just gotten a little bit more information, she probably could have put a stop to this if she had decided to, of course. Now, in August 1971, her fin- her father finally comes to take her for that weekend visit yeah. that he had promised her months before. But he was off on the oil rig. At this point in time, he got a new job as a truck driver. So he's still gone a lot, but at least not on an oil rig. Not for months at a time. Right. So when she's leaving with her father, the moldy bitch nurse was walking by her father's van. And she makes a point to say, Dad, stop. I want to say goodbye to my treatment nurse. So he stops, and the nurse, thinking that it was like some a friend or somebody that she knew that wanted to just say hi, and her father's a good-looking guy, so she walks over, and he rolls down the window, and she's like, goodbye, nurse. I'm going home for a weekend with my dad. The one I said was going to hurt you? Uh-huh. And then she said, dad, this is the nurse who puts needles in, my, in me and tra- ties my hands and feet together. God, love her. Both adults' faces looked shocked. The nurse didn't say a word. She didn't need to. The truth was very clear on her face, and she just walked away. Her dad still doesn't believe her and was like, Tinker, you've got to stop lying. But he takes her to a cafe, and he gives her the 411 on what's going on. He tells her that 
you need to tell everybody that we meet this weekend, that you've been at a boarding school. Tell no one about the mental hospital and tell no one about anybody that you've met in the mental hospital. Okay. And she's and he's like, if you do, I'll never bring you home on a weekend again. So <sighs> she's like, okay. There goes my reprieve. Yep. I understand. So she did try to continue to tell him what was going on. All right. But he continued to tell her that he signed no consent form. So none of that was happening and that she is just going to make a holy show of him if she doesn't stop with her lies. I just want to, I just want 20 minutes alone with him, Charnel. I know. Just give me 20. You're only going to need five. Yeah, but I want 20. I know. Good point. (laughs) He also lets her know, remember Janice in the fur coat? Yeah. Honey, she's going to be your new mom. She's going to cook us a nice meal, so you best be give her some respect and be on your best behavior. So him in love. Mm-hmm. He has he has a Janice mm-hmm. in a fur coat. Yep, yep. And she's a decent woman, and she's going to make an honest man out of him. And for the weekend, she's going to make them meals, Where's and it's going to be good. Stephen's not mentioned ever again. So Stephen goes to dad. She goes to crazy town. The first town. boarding school. Mm-hmm. Right. And or excuse me, the first children's home. Right. And and we don't hear about Stephen again. Ever. Never. No. No Fuck, idea. Fuck, man. No idea. I'm a little worried. I know. Okay. Stephen has a story of his own. Janice should have a lot of questions too. Well, don't worry. Okay. She does we're, eventually. We're going to get there. Because she had a son named Martin who went to an actual boarding school. So that's where dipshit got <gasps> oh, the idea. Oh, okay. My daughter's in a boarding school. We have so much in common. For sure. Mm-hmm. I want to put this there now. <laughs> Yep. So she had um, a nice, she had made them a nice dinner, actually. And Barbara accidentally mentions a friend from the hospital, but she never said it was from the mental hospital. She just mentioned her friend's name. And when her father tells her it's time to clean up, she had to do all the dishes, clean up all the dinner, of course. And he whispered to her from behind not to ever mention the mental defects again, or she would never come back. Oh, her friend? Yeah. The defects? Her friend, the mental defect. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was a very innocent comment about her friend being a dancer. That's it. So they then, that night, Janice and dad leave for a party and leave her all alone, which she had no problem with because she got the TV all to herself. She's home for the weekend. She has she to be was alone. Fine. Yep. So she really did not want to go back, obviously. And she had made the decision that if she did have to go back, she was going to run away. Amen. Which means if I run away, I'm going to get the electric shock treatment. So in her mind, she decides, you know what I'm going to do? I want to see what this electric shock treatment's all about. Oh, shit, Charnel. I better experiment and just see how bad it is before I decide if I'm going to run away and possibly subject myself to it. While Janice and Dad are away, she decides that she is going to concoct something. She gets some tin foil, she gets some fire, and she gets some water. And a kite. She'd been Franklin herself. Trying. She did. She's trying. <laughs> She's experimenting. How old right? is she now? Is she so, still 12? She was there for eight months. So, yeah, she yeah, could presumably still, be 12 the whole time. She is still 12 years old. And, she, uh, you know, she's doing all this. She did manage to shock herself once and was like, fuck, that hurt. I did not like this. No, not at all. She's continuing with it, and Janice and Dad walk in. While she's electrocuting herself. Yes. Her dad is furious. He calls her a mental defla- defect. Her dad lets Janice see who he really is, okay? And Janice is trying to calm the situation, and she's like, stop it. We're just going to see, like, what's going on. So she's like, why were you doing this? And she said, well, I needed to prepare for the electric shock treatment. She can see her dad's face. Her dad is irate. Like, what are you doing telling her this stuff? And so he's like, you know what? That's it. I'm taking you back to the school now. 
And Janice is like, you're going to do no such thing with so much drink in you. I fucking love her. Oh, I yeah. like her you're already. Gonna love Janice. Okay. You're going to love Janice. We all love Janice. She says, we need to get to the bottom of this because why does a girl her age even know what that is? She 12. Yeah, ask right? her a few more questions, Janice. And she's about to. Yep. And she's telling him, like, you're not going anywhere with her. You have been drinking. Shuts his dumb ass all the way up. And she tells, then she's like, go ahead. Tell us what you need to tell us. Barbara lets it go. She talks about all the injections, the medication, the putting the mask on, Milner laying on top of her, waking up in Milner next to her, the way that when she wakes up, she's always bleeding, even though she's not gotten her periods. So then she breaks down and cries after telling everything. Janet urges her to tell her more and reassures her that no one's mad at her. Of course, she immediately looks to her father to see what his face, what his reaction is. And for the first time ever, he's not mad, but he's crying. Yeah, because he knew. A hundred percent. He didn't want to deal with it. And what happened is he accidentally stumbled himself upon a decent human being today. Mm -hmm. And he had to put put a show on. Yep. Yep. So she then tells Janice. Janice still alive? I want to send her cookies. I know. I doubt it, but man, Mm, I wish. Probably not. So she tells Janice all about the, the treatment and what it's called, what it is, everything. Dad intervenes to say she's lying. She's always lying. I didn't sign any consent forms. Okay. Janice knows right away that this idiot is just. I mean. A complete and total dingbat. Janice pets him on the head. Listen here, Puddin. Sometimes when you don't sign consent forms, people do it anyway. Stuff still happens. Yep. So Janice is like, listen, I think we need to believe her because how does a kid her age know about things like injections and ether and I would if it was my kid I would at least get to the bottom of it right she then tells Barbara uh, to nip off to the corner store she gives her some money says go get me some fags at the corner store and get yourself a little something extra too which Barbara knew that that meant take a little extra time take your time while I have a little chit chat with your father. I know what that means. Yep. It's like when your parents tell you to go play outside on a Saturday afternoon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. So stay gone for a while, kid. I'm at least a good 30. Yep. Yep. <laughs> However, when she gets to the corner store and she recognizes the shopkeeper, Mrs. Watson, she started talking to her. She felt really, really sick and she literally passes out. Really? Yes. So Mrs. Watson brings her back, knocks on the door, and is like, hey, I have, you know, Barbara here. She's clearly very sick. She's shaking. She has fevers. Think about it, Megan. She's now been out of the hospital for like a day and a half. She's going through withdrawal. A hundred percent. The next thing that she remembers, she remembers waking up a little bit on Sunday. She was horrifically sick. And Sunday, she knows she's supposed to go back to the hospital on Sunday, but Sunday comes and goes. The next time that she wakes up and is conscious, it's Monday morning. She's vomiting all over the place. Her dad is sitting right next to her, very concerned. He cleaned up her vomit and tells her that he's got to go off to work and to do some errands. Okay, he's got to leave for work for the week and that she's going to stay with Janice. So I'm going to interrupt really quick because for those of you who aren't in the substance abuse world um, and or who have ever been around addicts, whatever medication they have her on, when we're talking about withdrawals, if you've ever seen or known or been an addict, 
you want to die. Mm-hmm. Um, you're 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 vomiting. You probably have diarrhea. Mm-hmm. You do have a fever. You're you're going through probably the worst sickness you've ever had in your life. And this is what this young lady starts to experience because she's been gone just long enough that she yep. started the withdrawal process. But she continues it. Yes. At 12. At 12, because she has been there for eight months. Okay. Having, well, she's been having pills longer than eight months, though. She has. Because the Cedars started her on those tablets, two tablets a day, three times a day. Her father says, I'm going to social services. You're not going back to the hospital. I have to go to work. Okay. You're going to stay with Janice. She's elated. She even tells her father she loves him. I when love you, Daddy. Mm-hmm. Please, thank you for leaving me with the nicest human I've ever met. Right. Or the person who's ever been the nicest to me. Yes, exactly. Janice actually explained that she worked in a hospital for many years. She said, Barbara, were you ever, get, ever given any tablets, any medication? <sighs> she knew. She did. And, of course, Barbara's like, yes, a lot of them told her everything. Her father comes back and explains that she, you know, had that he had went to um, social services this is when she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, thank you. He has to leave for work, though. Janice did help her through the, the entire week until her withdrawal s- symptoms were better. Janice nursed her through it all. That's why I said we love Janice. But eventually a social worker does come when she's feeling better and transfers her to a school for Roman Catholic girls because they were Roman Catholic. So now she's going to live with the nuns. Now was Janice's just so much like Stephen Smith's case. It's it unreal. Is. Was Janice's child at a Catholic boarding school? I think yeah. Yep, so yeah. This, but, but Janice is an appropriate parent. She all is. These so the next logical step for them, and this is where I'll give Janice the benefit of the doubt, is that by sending her to the Catholic boarding school, that's a that's a huge upgrade, and she yeah. thinks she's doing a good thing. Yeah. Right? Yep. And for the most part, she was. They okay. were. For the most part, you're they not going to completely rip my heart out of there's, my chest and there my is no tits more off now. sexual abuse. Okay. Go. Okay. Really good. There's no more sexual abuse. I can tell you, even with the priests. Okay. Okay. See, (laughs) I know this is not to mean that we believe that all people of that particular religion who practice in that job are abusive. Correct. Do you like my disclaimer? Thank you. This is what happens when you have a lawyer on the show. I appreciate that you can do that for me so I don't have to do it. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. You make my job so much easier. It was a generalized statement meant to be humorous with no intended legal consequence. That's right. Don't leave me. I won't. So. I love you. I hate you, baby. Please don't leave. It's you, not me. Right. I said that in reverse, but you it's did, funnier. But it's okay. I get it. <laughs> so then they go, this this Catholic uh, house is called Blackbrook House. Okay. That's where they go. A lot of the reason why is because her father really is gone all the time. He is a truck driver. He's not married to Janice. Uh, just so you know, spoiler alert, Janice no longer wants to stay with father. Weird. Okay. Well, After she just realized out she was in a mental hospital and being lied about it because simply because he didn't want to take care of his fucking daughter. Janice decided that's probably not an appropriate person to be around her son. Oh, she so was dating way down. Way to go, Janice. Do they continue their relationship? Uh, no. Okay, but no. Janice at least Janice here is a catalyst her, to yes, getting her out and got her into a school that should that for the most part is good. Okay? When she was writing in her book, did she, I'm assuming all positive things about Janice? Janice. Yes. Okay, she made it very. She clear. saw her for a weekend, if we consider this truly right. and honestly. Yes, she knew her for a few days, and she loves her and speaks so positively. And later of her. in life, when she realizes that Janice and Dad didn't work out, she's upset that Dad can't keep good women. Right. She does make that connection, too. So she didn't really even get to say goodbye to her. Like, the social workers show up while Janice is nursing her back to health yeah. and take her. She didn't get to say goodbye to her father. 
But the first nun that she meets is Sister Jenny. We love Sister Jenny. Okay, thank she you. She loves Sister Jenny. Sister Jenny asks if she promises to not run away, and Barbara felt like she couldn't lie to a nun because if you lie to a nun, you get a black mark on your chest forever and you won't be permitted into heaven. Yeah, I feel... I love this honesty. Chanel, I, I want to show you something. <laughs> <laughs> As she's okay, pulling I'll my, down her shirt. I'll put my shirt back on. <laughs> right. There's something about me. We're, we're screwed. But Barbara here was knew what's up. It's like I can't lie to a nun. No, I'm Protestant. It's all the heaven with none of the guilt. That's true. Yeah. Yes. So she tells her she tells the nun nun nurse nun Jenny the truth. And Jenny was like, I respect your honesty, but can you try your best not to run away? Because like I've heard stories about you. Can Aww. you be on your best behavior? And Barbara's like, I'm I, I can't lie. I might try to run away, okay? Like, if it's shitty here, I'm going to try to survive. I appreciate all of that. Yeah, and Jenny's like, I get it. That makes sense. So how about we just work on trusting each other? You and me. Yep. We'll work on trusting each other and just kind of go from there. And Barbara's like, okay, I will give it a try. But basically, like, the first time you fuck up, lady, I'm out of here, right? Sure. So you breached my trust. I'm out. And they, I didn't lie. Yeah. And they did appreciate, you know, her honesty. She does become, um, this is almost a problem with her fitting in with some of the other girls, but she does become a favorite of the nuns. Okay. She, oh, the nuns are okay. Some of them at first. Okay. She did get her own room at the school because she's the only girl there that never had a mother. They knew her past. Okay. Um, they know she's been sexually abused. They know that was never said, but people know in this era, you know that they have heard of Aston Hall and the things that go on at Aston Hall. Yes. Give me oh, a okay. Break. So it's not so much that they knew what happened to her. It's so much that they, they knew, knew where, where she, she was. From. And yep. so we got to keep her away from the other mm -hmm. kids here at the Catholic she school. She gets her own room. She doesn't have medication anymore. Instead, her treatments were like mass prayer three times a day, confession, Holy Communion, those sorts of Roman Catholic-y things. Yeah. Um, Did she, they write those on a prescription pad? Yeah, probably, in order to, to go there. I have a lot of Catholic friends. I'll ask them. She learned to sew, kind of learned how to be a lady. She was allowed to use all of her silverware That's at dinner, useful. which like is it. way better than being in the mental hospital where they don't allow you I'm knives. a foodie, so I'm a big fan of all of the silverware. Me too. All yep. of them. She Give finally, me five on this side, four on that side. She finally gets a knife. She's yeah, excited. Right? Just trusted with a knife. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, she's not going to stab Nurse Ratchet with it? Yes. She that When they try to sexually abuse her? Yes. She had more freedoms. Father Jones was a really nice priest there who would even take them to, like, the beach and he was taking pictures of all of them at the beach. And she made this innocent comment in front of somebody once about, oh, father, did you get those pictures that you took at me at the beach back yet? And this random person that happened to hear it was like, you took pictures of these girls at the beach. She, it was an innocent conversation. No one was in trouble. Aww. But she felt like she had said something wrong and it triggered her. She went back into her room and destroyed her room. Because she was terrified that she was going to get treatment. That Father Jones was going to give her treatment. Because yeah. she had, like, outed something that she shouldn't have. When really it was just an innocent conversation and nobody, like, cared, you know. It, it was it was fine. To the point where she's busting her furniture and the nurses are like, well, or the nurses, the nuns are like, whoa, 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 calm down. Nurse Jenny comes in and she literally grabs, like, a piece of wood as if it's a dagger and says, if you let Dr. Milner inject me, 
then I will kill him. I'm going to kill him. I will kill all of you guys. He, she, the things she was saying was oh, giving she, them an insight of what she had been through. She dissociated. She just completely. They did put her in a padded room, and they did strip her down. She had no blankets. I don't like that much no, and at all. They let her out to use the potty. They fed her. They gave her a book to read. But she is cold, and she is in this padded room to calm down. And for her, though, she's just waiting for Dr. Milner to come. Yeah, this is just the precursor. Mm-hmm. It took her like two months of being there before she realized that Dr. Milner had no control at this school. Okay. She was very triggered. But that doesn't mean there's not a Dr. Milner in multiple institutions throughout the world. And you know there were. Of course there were. Yeah. But in this situation, Dr. Milner, nobody like Dr. Milner comes. It's literally just a padded room, but it is triggering I for don't her. love that they have a padded room in this school. They're not supposed to. We get to it in a minute. I'm so sorry I keep ruining no, things No, it's okay. okay. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. These are, these are the things. Eventually, her dad comes to visit for like a sudden visit that wasn't planned. And then the... Sudden visits often aren't. And the, you're right. <laughs> planned. Sudden visits aren't <laughs> planned, and this one wasn't either. Believe it or not. I'm Could an you asshole. believe it? Keep going. <laughs> what I meant more so is it was sudden for the nuns because yeah. they didn't know he was coming, but they bent the rules and allowed him to visit her because it was her, and they felt like she needed she that. needed it. But she brought a 14 year old girl named Karen with him. 14. Karen introduces himself herself. To Barbara as her older sister. What? Who has lived with her mom this whole time. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Uh-huh. Is this her biological mother too? Yeah. Yes, she's lived with her biological mother this whole time. This whole time that this child has been looking for her mom and thinking that her mom abandoned her. And her mom did. Her mom abandoned yeah, her. Yeah, she took the oldest but child, she took Karen. The oldest child in that part of the story when she was younger was never told to her. She never knew she had a sister. Dad now, never discloses Dumbass dad knows that he made two children. Well, three when you include Stephen. Yes. Never told her. But decides now when she's at this school after she's been horrifically sexually abused that now's a good time to bring Karen because Karen was looking for her, for Barbara. Karen wasn't looking for the father. But he, she found the father first, and the father was like, oh, you want to meet your younger sister? Yeah, because mom's okay. told her that she has a sibling, right? Yeah. But she has a sister. Yeah. But dad never told Barbara that she has an older sister, Karen. She's like, oh, my God, I've been fantasizing about my mom for 12 years. Here she has been living with her the whole time. That means she wanted Karen and not me, oh, right? My heart... Her father confirms that it's true. Yes, this person really is your sister. And so she's like, I want to live with my mom. I mean, she has Where's all my these, mom? Right. I right. want to go with my mom. I'm going home with you, Karen. Exactly. Exactly. And for some reason, Karen is like, mom doesn't want you and never has. I sought you out all of these years so I could put, push you down. So I could just tell you that. Stomp on your face a little. But the fact of the matter is... Karen's a 14-year-old girl, and she wasn't lying. But Barbara doesn't know this at the time. Karen was being honest. Barbara and Karen's mom is a piece of shit, and we meet her later. That's not what you tell the 12-year-old who's in a very delicate emotional state. They had started to raise their voices. The nurse or nun Jenny comes in and was like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought I heard raised voices in here. Like, she can see that Barbara's upset, 
And she tells them, you know what? I think this visit is over. Then she asks Karen, hey, Karen, are you just a dirty lying tinker too? She asks Karen that? In front of the nun. And like the nun knows what tinker means, right? So she gasps and she's like, you know what? I have had enough. You all need to leave. Barbara stops her father and says, don't ever come back. I don't want to see you again because after all, why would you want to just come and visit a dirty little tinker like me? And the oldest daughter that you're hanging out with, by the way. Exactly. The nurse then, the nurse. I keep saying nurse, but I mean nun. Nun. And the nun is like, you know what? She's right. Don't come back here unless you have consent to do so ahead of time. Like we bent the rules for you and you came here and had nothing but upsetting news for her. We're not going to allow this to happen again. Yeah, you just but made the situation is, worse. Yeah, this is Nun Jenny who, you know. We love Nun Jenny. We do, we do. So then she allows Barb to cry and cry and cry on her shoulder. And she gave her kindness and tenderness and told her that she can talk to her or any of the staff whenever she needed to because she's the only girl in the school without a mother. So they knew that she needed a mom. And that they would be there for her, okay? And that she is not a tinker, that she is a good girl. All the nuns love her because she's a helpful and kind person. Shortly after that, though, she gets a neighbor, a neighbor named Susan. And the nuns think, Susan's new. Susan kind of comes from a similar background. Why don't you show Susan around? Well, that would be great, except that Susan's a little fucking bitch. Okay. (laughs) Okay? Susan immediately wants to show dominance. So Susan's had a rough life and she's showing it in a different way. A real bad way. Barbara goes into her room to just greet her and make a new friend. And Susan starts trashing her own room and then says, you better pick this up before I tell the nuns it was you. Oh, God, I've seen this horror movie. Uh (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, she does. She goes back to her own room. Susan had trashed her room, too, so she had to clean Clean it up. And this goes on and on. And Susan made friends and made friends that bullied Barbara. Now school is hell for her because there's a fucking Susan. One, one suit. And you would have thought it would have been the Karen, but that was her sister. Right. You <laughs> so would have. But now there's a Susan. Okay, Susan. Yep. Susan steals her meals. What's she going to do about it? Right? Tells them that. Boxing stance. Tells, well, she tells, Susan tells her that. All the girls around here hate you because you're always up the nuns' arses. Oh, you're the brown noser. Yep, exactly. So you can't run and tell them because then it would just prove to all the girls that you are a brown noser. When really the kids didn't think that about her at all, she just knew how to manipulate. Susan's seen some shit. I was just say, Susan's street mar- smart, and this is how she's uh, living her life. Yeah, but it comes back to literally kick her in the face. One day, I mean, I feel bad, but I kind of don't right mm, now. No, no. One day, Susan's surrounded by her gaggle of bitches, and she starts making fun of Barbara. Just physically making, you know, making fun of her physical ass tributes, all these sorts of things. Barbara grabs her hair, and Susan full-on punches her so hard that it knocks Barbara out. So Barbara got knocked out? Barbara got knocked out. And when she came to, she was being carried on a stretcher and got checked over by one of the nuns. But literally, the nun gave her three black marks against her. For, for getting punched? Because she's the one that started it. She pulled her hair. Susan didn't get anything. Did so she? when she was released back into general general pop. Gen pop. Yep. Yep. We've worked in the business for too long. <laughs> we have. Susan's still surrounded, surrounded by her gaggle of bitches, and she's marching up to her. And Susan says, oh, yeah? What are you going to do about it? So Barbara fucking shows her. 
She grabs her head so quickly and starts kneeing the bitch in the face that Susan didn't see a damn thing coming. Blood starts squirting out Susan's nose. Barbara's on a freaking roll at this point in time, starts punching her until Susan is a heap of bloody flesh on the ground. You reap what you sow. You get what you deserve. Yeah, it, <laughs> this had been months. This had been months. She couldn't take it anymore. Of she, lo- I mean, she reached her breaking point. She uh, not that we condone violence here, but no. everyone does have a breaking point, and this girl had pushed her to it. And we're talking about two kids who've been significantly mm-hmm. traumatized, and yeah, she she she'd had enough. Mm-hmm. She got the padded room for three days. Okay. Worth it. Oh, wait. <laughs> right? A real bitch of a nun named Kathleen from Ireland was now assigned to her. Now, she tells her how wicked she is for what she had done to that poor girl and that she better pray for forgiveness and yada, yada, yada. She was like, can I just see Sister Jenny? Like, I just want to see Sister Jenny. She's like, nope. Jenny went into retirement. You're never going to see her again. Did she? So then, no. So then, Sister Kathleen, which is the one who, like, has the the face like it was molded from hell. Irish right. Kathy. Mm-hmm. She tells her on day three, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if you were arraigned for grievous bodily harm because of what you did to Susan. I mean, it was an assault GBH, basically. It was. It was. And so now she's scaring her that she's going to get charges. Um, when she was let out to go to the bathroom, she did notice that Susan's room was empty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, Bye-bye, Susan. Yeah, Susan <laughs> didn't like the place so much when she wasn't the, Well, Susan know, might have been at the hospital. Maybe. I don't know. Susan never comes back. Weird. We have no idea what happened to Susan. I think she realized she wasn't top dog anymore. Uh, uh, so a new sister <laughs> arrives named Sister Elizabeth while Oops. she's in solitary confinement. Okay. She pops her head in and she's like, listen, I want you to tell your social worker about this padded room and how they're treating you. Because legally, they're not allowed to do this. So Sister Elizabeth gets here. She's new, and she's like, oh, oh fuck. What's going on This is not here? allowed. And she literally says, I'm not going to be here very long, so the next time you see your social worker, you tell them. So Sister Elizabeth only worked there for a week. Yeah, so she Sister came Elizabeth in, saw the knew. violations. Yes, and left. Like I said, she never did find out what happened to Susan. Susan, she did get out of solitary, and she uh, was never charged with anything. And life returned to normal for her at the school. The normal before Susan. Which was relatively good. Yes, it was. Absolutely. Then when she was returned back to the general population, she discovers that that sister Jenny Jenny actually died of a heart attack. Son of a bitch. She didn't retire. Yeah. Charnel. So she's devastated because one of the few adults that cared for her, you know, and had shown her kindness was gone. Yeah, Jesus wanted her for himself. Right. And then there's another incident where she didn't really have anything to do with this, but she was just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and witnessed a girl who was being, quote, naughty, literally being beat in a bathtub until the bathwater was bloody. And she doesn't really know what that was all about. But what she does know is that social workers and state inspectors started showing up asking questions. All right. And at this point in time, the. Do you think Nurse Elizabeth was a plant? Maybe. I hope so. Yeah. I hope that's the I'm story. Getting the, I'm getting the vibe, mm-hmm. and, I, and I like it. As the social worker comes, she remembered what Nurse Elizabeth said. Yeah. And she told Tell her. her. Right away. She did. And so the social worker's like, well, show me. Show me this room. So the, she goes to show her. There's a huge wardrobe in front of that door. The nurse, the nuns had pushed did have a big wardrobe. Did I have a sign? Do not open this door. Do not open. Nope. It's just like this big 
closety thing. Yeah, I know so, a wardrobe. Yeah, so then the um, uh, social worker stops a nun and is like, hey, what's behind this wardrobe? And the nun's like, oh, that old thing? I have absolutely no idea. It's so big. I could never move it. I'm not sure there's anything back there. You just lied, man. Literally the 12, Barbara, 12-year-old Barbara's like, a nun just lied? Yeah. 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 Like, she going to hell for sure. But shortly after that visit, now all of a sudden the nuns are not only nice to her, but they're taking her out for like treats and shopping and all these weird things that she had never been given before. Almost like every time the social worker was going to come see her, she was gone. <laughs> yeah, weird. If, if you so, can't ask the questions, they don't get answered. Yeah, so. yeah. So she also gets another surprise of going to see her father again. Now, this time she's a little bit older, so she gets to take buses on her own. I thought she was given pocket money. She wanted to see him then, or she well, just wanted she to get leave. to get out. Okay, that makes more sense. Right. And it's freedom involved, because she's old enough that they're like, here's yep. money, here's catch money. the bus, go see right. daddy. Because remember, she's not in a mental hospital anymore. Yeah, she's at a school. Okay. Yeah. So they give her the money, and she loves it because dad's partying all weekend, right? He leaves money at the house for her. If you need anything, here's some money. So the next morning she goes out maybe to find food. She's not really sure. She's got money in her pocket. You know what she finds? She finds a Marmaduke. She sees in a pet shop a little mouse oh. in a window. And she is convinced that it's Marmaduke that was with her that day in the treatment room. So buy the mouse. That mouse buy saved the mouse. her. She's going to save him. She buys the mouse. She buys food for it. And thus is born Marmaduke that lives in her pocket. He lives in her pocket. He lives in her pocket. In and her little Catholic. No, in her little Catholic schoolgirl skirts. She has zippered pockets. And so he lives in one with some shavings, like bedding. Yeah, so she can change the bedding because mm-hmm. it's going to get a little smelly. I yeah. bet her pockets did not smell good. Well, we find out later the nuns know about it because, of course, every time she takes her skirts off, the shavings fall out. They didn't. They let they her have care. it. Mm-mm. They let her have it. So I love but that. She, yeah, she had food. In the other pocket, and she would. So she couldn't buy him a little cage or an aquarium or whatever they'd keep him in. She just put him in her pocket. He was in her pocket, and he slept in a little tin. She had like a little sweets tin hidden in her room, and that was his home. Like an Altoid can. Yeah, that was his home. Marmaduke. (sighs) I'm I'm melting. Yes. Remember how you told me to tie this cushion down because I might slide off. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna let it. Butter myself (laughs) onto the floor. She also really loved Marmaduke because she's. This was a quote from her book. Although I had left the hospital, the hospital hadn't left me. I was still haunted by it, even in my sleep, end quote. So as the Irish nuns take over, they're pretty scary and sadistic. And in her other nun that she really liked, like left for London. And so her father called and she was like, listen, ask the social worker to come and talk to me. Like I need to, you know, things are getting bad here. And he says, don't say it over the phone. They're listening. I'll have the social worker come and talk to you. Because at this point in time, dad knows like not to trust other adults, essentially. And things just aren't great there anymore. But he anymore. still isn't keeping her home. No, but he is also still on the road working. Yeah, there's no one there. Right. That's true. And so the social worker does come. And um, she gets transferred to what's called a hostel. Okay. She's so stuck. youth hostels are throughout Europe. They're usually, they're usually temporary, almost like... Yeah. B&B hotel-y type Yep. Things. These girls were actually, they were 16 and above and in college. Um, she's yeah. like 14, 15 at okay. this point in time. She was afraid that she wouldn't get to take Marmaduke. So when she got to the hospi- hostel, she did tell the social worker about Marmaduke. And he's li- and the social worker was like, you know, we don't usually allow pets, but I think in this case we will. 
allow pets. He sits in your pocket. What's yeah. he going to hurt? So she, the social worker made some calls and got a cage for him. So he had his own home. Oh, he did have a little cage mm-hmm. finally then. Yeah. So she could enjoy she him. Got, she got to keep Marmaduke. And Marmaduke helped her during the Irish nun reign at the you know other house, the school, the Catholic school yeah. that she was in. She it started triggering her, the fear, getting the fear of the nuns, started triggering her some more. And he was there in the evening, you know, in the night for her. She would pet him and it was, well, disassociating just like how she she thought that she heard the mouse. Yeah. There was a mouse in that treatment room with her that one time. She has fond memories when she left the school, the Catholic school. She left hugging her friends and with Marmaduke in her pocket, and she was happy. Like, that was okay. And when she went to the hostel, it wasn't a bad place. She had all kinds of freedom. She was allowed to leave the hostel anytime from 7 a.m. until 11 p.m. Okay. Just, just a curfew. Had yes, to be home by 11 p.m. Just had to be home. Then, you know, you can keep your mouse. Like, things are going well. The other girls are gone to college all day. So she had the house to herself, essentially. And she's not hating life at this point in she time. She school? Yes. Okay. Yep. She still had school. She likes school. So then, all of a sudden, one day, she gets a letter. And she's reading through this letter and realizes that it is from her mother. mother. I knew you were going to do it. It is postmarked from a place that's only 30 minutes away. So she gets on a bus. She goes to see her mom. No shit. Leads her straight to a gypsy camp. All right. That part was true that her dad told her. Her mom really was a gypsy with red hair, a tall, redheaded woman. So dogs are barking. Children are circling around. She's telling people her name. They're all like, you're my sister. This man named John comes up and is like, I'm your uncle John. This is your grandmother. Yeah, it's a whole family. I mean, this is, um, our, and somebody will probably correct me for being wrong, but there's like like Romanovs or something, Romanovs or something. Yeah. And so sometimes people use gypsy as a derogatory term, and that's not what we're intending to do, but it's just kind of the the um, information that we were given. But they are they are nomadic people they are. by nature. Yeah, and they live in caravans. Correct, and yep. it just surprises me. So she took the one daughter with her, obviously, she but did. she loved Left, she left her, she left, and that bothers me. She left Barbara for whatever They usually reason. keep their kids with them is what yeah. I'm saying. This isn't typical. Yeah, I'm not sure. But could it have been that it was some sort of deal that was struck so that dad would leave her the fuck alone if he left? she took one kid and left the other? I don't know. You know, that I thought about that, but then looking at how he's been, the fact that he's gone all the time, all I keep thinking is, I feel like he, she was treated how she was because he was like, you stuck me with yes. this. Yeah, I know. That's what it feels like for sure. I'm not sure. But grandma lived in a little caravan. She liked the, the, she was like taking notice of what the caravan looked like. And grandma, she really liked this grandma woman. And she said, I'm, I'm your grandma. I'm your grandma. I've prayed. She grabbed her rosary and she's like, I've prayed for your safe return all these years. And she's thinking this is going to be really great. Her mom comes home about nine o'clock at night. Her mom is not the woman that she was envisioning for what now 14 years yes so she's not a tall beautiful redhead she is tall she is a redhead long redheaded hair but she's hardened okay yeah she's she's, had a rough life she has and she's not as tender as she had hoped that her mom would be she's like hey you can stay with us you know that's no problem she's sleeping in a bed full of children that she doesn't know and the next morning when her mom's making breakfast she's telling her all kinds of stories of all the people that she hates in life and how she's beat them up and all this stuff and it's just not the motherly figure that she had hoped for right she was disappointed her mom takes her to a pub where they all get rip roaring drunk not her she doesn't get rip roaring drunk but all the other adults do so it's like welcome home honey that's her life it's not right 
So she's, she is now about 15 at this point in time. And her mom's like, listen, you don't have to go to school. You could look after some horses and have all the freedom in the world that you want. Of course, to Barbara, this sounds pretty good, right? So they drive to social services and she tells them, I'm Barbara's mother. I'm going to be caring for her from now on. Now, remember, social services never actually removed Barbara. So there's a parent could have picked her up at, at any, any time. time. So they're like, okay. Here Have you fun go. with your mom. We can't legally keep her. Right. There's no termination. No. So here she is now caring for all of the caravan's young children. She's never really even cared for herself, so she's not loving that. Does she have Marmaduke? She's made to... Marmaduke is never mentioned again. That makes me sad, I do too. not know. All right. Um, not that I usually like mice, but... A little part of my soul right. just crawled in my pocket and cuddled up. I, exactly. Like, I kind of want one now. I know. I, I'm wondering. I realized what's missing from my life, and that's a Marmaduke. So, yeah. Can it be a rabbit, though, instead yeah, of a mouse? Yeah. Does okay. it have to be? Could it? She met her stepdad. She immediately hated him, and he immediately hated her. So that didn't go good. Is that she John? She just got bad. Nope. Uncle John. Oh, John was the uncle. I'm sorry. (laughs) Are we so jaded that when you hear Uncle Uncle, John, sometimes you're like, it's mom's boyfriend. Yes. (laughs) Yes, we are, Megan. Sorry. It's true, though. No, she just got a bad feeling about the dude. He just wasn't a great dude. But she also got a bad feeling about her mom, rightfully so. Because she spent the next several years of her life thieving, stealing nice clothes to sell it to support the gypsy lifestyle, and begging strangers and tourists on the street for money. So life wasn't fantastic. She was offered a job by a man, and she was going to take it because she wanted the hell out of there, and her grandmother begged her and said, do not go with him. Any girl who goes with him never comes home and is never seen from again. Oh, She's like, I will help you. If you want out of the caravan lifestyle, I will help you get a job. And she does. She helps her get a job at a hotel. She saves up enough money to um, go back to Liverpool where one of her, um, one of the girls from the Catholic school lived. And like one of the friends or mm -hmm, one of the, one of of her friends friends. Mm -hmm. lived and she worked, worked in a chip shop there. And from there she got a good job at a Greek restaurant. All right. Yeah. So then she's 18. The world is at her fingertips and she meets this handsome Greek man who sails her around the world as a stowaway on the ship that he's working on. Oh my gosh, he snuck her on for work. He did. And they're living a great life. She becomes pregnant. On the ship? Mm-hmm. Of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I well, what else is where. What else is there to do? It was either on the ship or on a beach somewhere. I'm not sure. But okay, yeah. I wasn't looking she, for those specifics. She, In that time frame is when <laughs> she became pregnant mm-hmm. as a stowaway. Okay. And sadly, though, his strong Greek Orthodox parents would not accept her, a Roman Catholic woman, as his mate. So she had to go back to Liverpool as an unwed mother, which made her very uncomfortable to live with that kind of stigma against her. So she gives birth to her daughter, her first daughter, and she married a man who needed a green card. Now, I don't know that this, I mean, I think this was okay for a while. They had two more girls and a boy together. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she is a, she's a, a single time. mom and then she marries the yep. guy for, <coughs> excuse me, because he needed his green card. Mm-hmm. And then they have three additional children together. They do. Yep. And they fostered many other children in her attempt to ensure that children did not suffer the way that she had. No and institutions for un- her. Right. And unfortunately, her childhood trauma did start to haunt her dreams and affect her reality. So it became a strain on her her marriage, and she saw her doctor, one of her general practitioners. She told him what had happened at the hospital. 
Like, I think that I'm having issues because of this. This is 1995. She was very shocked to learn that there's no record of her being at Aston Hall in, in any of her medical files. Are you shitting me? Well, that's what she said. She was like, oh, no, no, no. I was there. <laughs> and the doctor's like, no, you weren't. The hell I wasn't. Right. He prescribed her antidepressants and sleeping pills. And she was like, no, something is very wrong and I just cannot let this go. And this is 1995 is where her battle starts. And she, she got in touch with her Uncle Paul, who she described as her Uncle Paul, and because he's a well-educated man, and she thought maybe he would know how to help. So they call Ashton Hall, and Ashton Hall actually asked them to come in for a meeting. Because this is 1995, but Ashton Hall was closed in 1993. Right. And so they learn, that's where she learns, finally, that Dr. Milner died in 1976. And she, remember, she had left in 1971. She was told that she could not, that she couldn't like take her files with her, but she could see what there was. So she had files that proved that she was there. Yes. But she could see that there's a shit ton missing. Sure. That she, in that meeting in 1995, they weren't giving her the information. Yeah. When she was leaving, fuming over the fact that not all her shit was there and she knows there was more going on here than they were willing to tell her, she saw a freaking nurse that she recognized. The bitch had gray hair by now, but she recognized her. And she made a snide remark about Dr. Milner. And this freaking nurse defended him, saying that he was a pioneer in his field. And she was like, I'm sorry, a pioneer in what? Because you know exactly what he was doing. Is there any record that there was some type of original valid scientific experiment he was doing? I really don't know. I don't know that that question has been answered by the courts yet. Just, with, you all. know, there, so you have this nurse who obviously f- he's respected in his field. And what is that, ma'am? Uh, well, that's that was her question. Can you 100%. Ex- explain to mm-hmm. me what he was an expert of? What was he doing? Because you know damn well what he was doing. So then the nurse, she went off on this nurse. The nurse had to get the last word in with, quote, shall we destroy your files? Oh, just a, just a threat. So she turned around and said... Do we like said, our teeth? Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you want to keep those teeth? Yeah. Would you like dentures? So then... Again, we don't advocate violence on crime carrying. We don't, but we understand how sometimes it can happen. So... <laughs> Crazy reaction. She turns around and says, listen, this is a, another quote from her boat, her book, not her boat. Maybe she <laughs> wrote it on her boat. I don't know. But she says, quote, always remember this. Children have memories. I remember you, and I will never never forget what you did to us all, end quote. So she's like, if she's going to threaten me with destroying my files, I'm going to threaten her with my memories so that she knows Does not she safe. ever know enough about her to name her by name in Mm-mm. her book? No, she's never named. Nope, yeah. I don't know. I'm and sorry, I, Barbara. Time, I wish you knew her name because I would have spread her name so right. on every fucking page. But this is 1995 when this exchange happens. Yeah. It's really not until 19... Uh, or excuse me, 2015, that shit hits the fan. So that woman is long dead. Sure. she was, I mean. Oh, well, even better, because we know where she is. Right. The special place. March 20th, 1995, a formal letter was written by her Uncle Paul asking for answers to the medications that she had been given. Yes. She never got any real answers, so she knew she had a huge fight on her hands in that moment in 1995. There were no records of her actually attending Ashton Hall, like being 
placed there. But she saw the records and knew she was there. Yes, because she got the social services records. Yes. Okay, so the social worker had recorded that she went to Ashton Hall. But Ashton Hall themselves... Oh, they destroyed the records. ...did not record her being there. So... Bizarre. It takes all the way up to the age of the internet before anything can be done, when survivors can reach out with the same memories and the same stories to connect with one another before justice can be served. I will tell you that in 1998, her marriage did fall apart and she did divorce from her green card husband. I'm sorry, Barbara, but that happens. It does. As you are aware. In 2000, she started to have gynecological issues, and she was told that she had polyps that would need treatment or they could become cancer later on. But the thought of going to a hospital, and especially with a male doctor, terrified her. So she didn't do anything about it. Until 2011, when she started having symptoms that she could no longer ignore, like extremely heavy bleeding and cramping, She called up her Uncle John from the Gypsy Caravan. Oh, yes. She had stayed into contact with him, and he was a good man. And so she went to him and said, I need help going to the hospital. Like, I can't take myself there. Okay? Her kids are adults at this point in time. She has four children, but they're adults, and she doesn't want to burden them with this. And Uncle John takes her. She is diagnosed with stage 2B cervical cancer. She went through four grueling years of treatment to fight the cancer, which had grown around her cervix, and they were not sure what her prognosis would be before it did finally go into remission. Each trip to the hospital, each treatment, especially any time that a male doctor was involved, was an extreme trigger for her. In 2015, she she knew she was not crazy and that this had happened to her, and so she was looking for images of Ashton Hall to prove to herself that she did not imagine it emotionally she was in a really bad place mentally she was in a really bad place and she found a website called urban mayhem and there it was the photos of ashton hall and even the inside of it exactly as she remembered it and the comment section showed her that there are other victims who said they received treatments there the same stories in her as, as hers as her memories and she finally realizes it was real and there are people out there that will believe me They all contact the hospital, and they're all told that their files might have been lost in a flood, that there was a big flood. But luckily, the three of them that reached out to contact them, all their files had survived this supposed flood. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, here's the answer to what you've been asking. Thank you. The files showed that she had been injected with sodium amytal, which is a truth serum. That's the truth serum. Mm Mm-hmm. And she had been given 120 milligrams, which is highly addictive. The max dose for adult males is one milligram, and it can be given, it can be lethal if given too much. So one milligram is the regular dose for an adult male. And as a 12-year-old female child, she was given 120 milligrams. What? Yeah. Of the of the truth of serum? Of the truth serum. Mm-hmm. She reads on and realizes the drug that had been given to make them comply while they, that was in the mask and whatnot, was the ether. Right. We're aware of that Mm -hmm. because it has the distinct smell. It does. And taste. Yep, exactly. You know what? I don't think she ever says what the um, tablets are, those three tablets a day. She never said it. Oh, what a bummer. Because I would have put it Okay. Well, I'm glad that we found out about the other ones. Yes, the sodium amethyl. I mean, maybe the uh, sodium amethyl, 
it, perhaps it has that type of an effect if you if you aren't receiving it. But the thing is, is see, she wasn't receiving that daily. That was just for treatment. So I felt yeah. like it was whatever her daily medication was that caused the withdrawal symptoms. And, it was. And it screams that, opiate or benzo to me, but maybe not. Because it was made, they gave her that to put them all in zombie states so that yeah. they wouldn't fight. They wouldn't ask questions. You know, it could have been some type of primitive or, or I guess it's not really even primitive, but like an antipsychotic or something or a mood stabilizer of some kind then too, you well, know, that, that snows you. This is 1971. Like like lithium or something? Yeah, it was early on. I do, you know, Stephen Smith mentioned lithium in his case. Uh, so that's right. I would very much believe that. So, and lithium was commonly used for um, uh, antipsychotics in the yes. 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, yep. And... But at the same time that I'm thinking withdrawal like that, maybe that is a symptom, and I'm sure somebody out there will tell us if it is regarding lithium, but I still get the impression that you, you feel you feel like there's an opiate or a benzo My issue there. My God, for all we know, it could have been cocaine. That used to be in pill form prescribed yeah, I, by doctors. So I'm going to throw this out here right now, and I know you're going to find this shocking, but cocaine doesn't usually calm people down and make them zombies. Mm-mm. No, it does not. I mean, they I may know. engage in zombie-like behavior, but you'll no. be bouncing off the walls. You will. You will. <laughs> so feeling incredible. Yep. I know. I was just being a smart ass because I'm not really sure. I thought that she put, I don't think she ever finds out. Because remember, the records that they get aren't complete. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, they're, and they're not going to document the things like that well, that were no. would have been illegal or resulted in an incident right. uh, report. No. So they do, they all call the police and, and an inquiry, an investigation is started. More victims come forward. She starts this Facebook group. That's for Aston Hall survivors. It gains media attention. And they all discover that they have one thing in common, and that is cluster headaches, which they do think is a direct result of the drugs that they were constantly given by Dr. Milner. The saddest part of all this for Barbara is that there are no photographs of herself as a child. The only photos that do exist are the ones that she knows Milner and his cronies took while sexually abusing her. Yep, you don't want those. Well, she has no idea where they all are today. They could be all over the internet for all she knows. Legitimately, they've never been found. Yeah. Because. He he probably destroyed them, Charnel, or somebody had them for safekeeping. After he died, all of his life's work, you know, those experiments that you were asking about. Oh my God, he's been doing it for over 20, he did it for over 20 years, right? They were burnt more than that. He was at Aston Hall from the 40s. Oh. Until 76. Over 30 years. Yeah. They were all burned. His life's work. Burned. Was burned. We did Nurse Ratchet do it? Well, you know the people that were fucking involved and had a part in it absolutely did that after his death. She doesn't have the same recollections as Stephen about the actual, what I'm going to refer to as orgies, but basically where he was having his friends come in yes. and molest. Yep, exactly. She thinks it she happened because of the one time. The, the very first time that she was there, there was another man in the room taking photos. Okay. She knows that. Oh, and, and remembers the sheet. she was taken out of the facility. Yep. An investigation into the case, as we said in Stephen, you know, Smith's case, it does end with the courts ordering the state to financially compensate the victims, but no one has seen jail time. It was so long ago. Right. She closes her book saying that writing the book helped her in so many ways than just mentally. She started to see physical changes like her hair and her nails were growing back. Her confidence was returning. She was thinking clearer. She still has night terrors and panic attacks and flashbacks, but she can understand them better now. And has a release knowing that she's finally believed and, like, justified. Like, this, I'm not crazy. These really did happen, right? And she said that's very freeing. So I'm going to end, as I usually like to, on survival stories with a remark, her own remarks from the book. She said, quote, 
Remember, you are only alone until you speak out. Then you will find there are thousands of survivors who understand. End quote. Yeah. That's Barbara's story. That's amazing, Barbara. And I think she felt alone up until she realized that there were other survivors that had went through the same exact thing that she had and that those weren't just childhood night terrors. Those were actual memories and that really did happen to her. And I don't know what happened to her dad. There were a couple of times in the book where I felt like she almost um, defended him. Like he had to work, you know, he was gone for work. So this is why I was here because my mom abandoned me. So I don't know. I don't know. how. Well, I bet I'm sure she has a lot of feels about all of that. Very conflicted. Yep. So I'm going to end you on a brain bath that was sent in by a listener. Okay. And she says, this is even funnier when you realize that it's real. So the next time that you have a bad day at work, think of this guy. So Bob is a commercial saturation diver for global divers in Louisiana. Oh, my God. I know this story. Do you? Yes. It's okay. Bathe me anyway. All right. All right. He performs underwater repairs on offshore drilling rigs. So below is an email that he sent his sister, and she then sent it to a radio station, 103.5, on FM dial in Indiana, who was sponsoring a worst job experience contest, and needless to say, she won. So here's his letter that he wrote to his sister, and I'm going to read it verbatim. It says, hi, Sue, just another note from your bottom-dwelling brother. Last week, I had a bad day at the office. I know you've been feeling down lately at work, so I thought I would share my dilemma with you to make you realize it's not so bad after all. Before I can tell you what happened to me, I first must bore you with a few technicalities of my job. As you know, my office lies at the bottom of the sea where I wear a suit to the office. It's a wetsuit. This time of year, the water is quite cool. So what we do to keep warm is this. We have a diesel-powered industrial water heater. This $20,000 piece of equipment sucks the water out of the sea. It heats it to a delightful temperature. It then pumps it down to the diver through a garden hose, which is taped to the air hose. Now, this sounds like a darn good plan, and I've used it several times with no complaints. What I do when I get to the bottom and start working is take the hose and stuff it down the back of my wetsuit. This floods my whole suit with warm water. (laughs) It's like working in a jacuzzi. Everything was going well until all of a sudden, my butt started to itch. (laughs) So, of course, I scratched it. This only made things worse. Within a few seconds, my ass started to burn. I pulled the hose out from my back, but the damage was done. In agony, I realized what had happened. The hot water machine had sucked up a jellyfish (laughs) and pumped it into my suit. Oh, God. Now, since I don't have any hair on my back, the jellyfish couldn't stick to it. However, the crack of my ass was not as fortunate. (laughs) Motherfucker. When I scratched what I thought was an itch, it was actually grinding the jellyfish into the crack of my ass. (laughs) No. I can't. I informed the dive supervisor of my dilemma over the communicator his instructions were unclear due to the fact that he, along with five other divers, were all laughing hysterically. <laughs> Needless to say, I aborted the dive. I was instructed to make three agonize, agonizing in-water decompression stops, totaling 30 minutes before I could reach the surface to begin my chamber dry decompression. 
When I arrived at the surface, I was wearing nothing but my brass helmet. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's going through his decompression stripping. (laughs) As I climbed out of the water, the medic, with tears of laughter running down his face, handed me a tube of cream and told me to rub it on my butt as soon as I got in the chamber. The cream put the fire out, but I couldn't take a crap for two days because my ass was swollen shut. Oh, oh my God. Listen, he continuously had his ass stung, stung. for over 30, 30 minutes. minutes. Because oh my he God. shoved the jellyfish down his own crack. Yeah, he, he, he gave himself a jellyfish he, enema. He did. <laughs> oh, my God. So next time you're having a bad day at work, think about how much worse it could be if you had a jellyfish shoved up your ass. Now, repeat to yourself, I love my job, I love my job, I love my job. Whenever you have a bad day, ask yourself, is this a jellyfish bad day? Life isn't tied with a bow, but it's still a gift. (laughs) What an optimist. I loved that. Oh, God, it's so funny. (sighs) I had read that maybe even a couple of years ago, and I think I laughed as hard then as I did now. It's just, it it is perfect. The details by which he writes it is so amazing. Well, that makes it. mm -hmm. I mean, if if you're a less eloquent person or you have no sense of humor at all, you're like, so today was fantastic. A jellyfish stung my ass, and you just ruined the whole story. Yes, but the way he puts it, it's it's amazing. He's a narrator. He's a storyteller. And I, I'm, I'm sorry that his asshole was swollen shut for two days. That was the part that took me most by surprise. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Can you imagine? No. Do you want to know that mm-hmm. I am incredibly allergic to jellyfish? I did not know yeah. that. So some people who are allergic to bees and wasps. I've been in and the ocean stinging, with you. I know. Yeah. Well, that's because I have no fear. I mean, you've done <laughs> lots of things with me. I, there's no. Yeah. It's not I probably shouldn't. Wearing, but I'm gonna. wearing small bathing suits in the ocean <laughs> where I'm obviously allergic to the thing swimming among me. I'm still fine. Yeah. And it's probably had something to do with the amount of um, um, Bahama Mamas or, or uh, banana daiquiris that we had it, had for breakfast yes, that morning. It does take down the fear factor just a it, little it bit. Usually it usually does. It usually does. So, but yeah, I I can't imagine having any part of my body stung for a good thirty minutes. I might have. I could have gone into you anaphylactic probably shock. Probably would have died. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Especially in your butthole. And can you imagine? Yeah, you know, attorney dies from. Anaphylactic shocks from swollen asshole. I like. want them to let me write it. I want to write that story. If that happens to you, I will make okay. sure it's comical and well, accurate. I mean, if and when I go first, if if you want to assist in writing the obit, you can start off with she could have gone many ways, and you could give that as an example, right. like a jellyfish up the ass because she's allergic to them. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Correct. And and most people would be like, well, that's a little bit weird. And then the rest of my friends would be like, no, that sounds about right yeah. for Meg. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's 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 weird that that's not how she went. Hmm. Well, thank you guys for hanging out with us for a couple hours while we finished this deep dive. And follow us on social media. If you're not a Patreon, click on the link in the show notes if you'd like to become one or head over to patreon.com slash crime curious and join there. And follow on social media. I post funny memes and pictures of the cases and uh, just generally hang out with people. What it's, else? It's a little fun family on there. It on is. The, on it, the Facebook pages. It's, I it's enjoy it. It's a great it. family. I have the best listeners. And feel free to send case suggestions to crimecurious at yahoo.com. And until next time, everyone, have a fabulous day. Keep it curious. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.